Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. This is season three, episode three, Into the Twitterverse. It's the third season, a season of sustainable new normals. We promise it's totally normal for you to tell your boss it's work to watch if they stop by while you're catching up. And if you're working from home, it's fine that you spend your time listening to content targeted for electric utility enthusiasts. Not weird or abnormal at all. We bring in some people way smarter than us. Those in the industry with knowledge to trust. We know we aren't perfect, sometimes it's a bust. But we'll roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Roll on today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets on Aaron Reports, talk about energy Twitter with online personalities at Simon Mahon and at D. Catchpole, get a market update on renewable developers from Avangrid's Vice President of Origination, Holly Karyas, prepare for Kaiso's extended day ahead market forum with PPC's Mike Lynn, and as always, cover more public power and public power adjacent news. I'm the voice of the underground and economic development manager for Klatskin IPUD, Brian Fawcett. Paul, to get us in the right frame of reference, can you play a clip of Hansel from Zoolander talking about giving it his best shot? I care desperately about what I do. Do I know what product I'm selling? No. Do I know what I'm doing today? No. But I'm here and I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, and this is Karen Heim, the office administrator for the Public Power Council, uh, editor of Wire to Wire, editor at large of the Public Power Underground and its newest co-star, Paul, can you play Jamie Tart from Ted Lasso being psychologically healthy for me? Coach, I'm me. Why would I want to be anything else? That feels good. That feels it does good. feel good. And I'm the current power analyst for Klatskin IPD and co-star of Public Power Underground, Ian Bledsoe. And for full transparency, I haven't watched the final two seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, but this serves as official notice, Paul, that I have seen season one of Ted Lasso. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Paul, I need a big Lebowski quote to get in the mood. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. I'm Paul Dockery, the manager of the power department, co-host of Public Power Underground, the sound tech, uh, giving you some great sound bites uh, as we go along. And I very much like the sound bites in the intros. And here is a quote from Dr. Fieldstone from Ted Lasso describing Ted Lasso's dialogue. Some obscure reference to something very specific to a 40-year-old white man from middle America. I feel good about this. I feel good. I'm loving these sound bites. <laughs> That's great. That, that sound bite sounded like a season two spoiler, though, Paul. Hey, I, I was very clear in the live show. You you should not be watching this if you have not seen and are not. <laughs> if up to you date do not know, you will know. Yeah, like you need to be you need to be up to date, Ian. You got to get into se- se- season two. I mean, we're on season. Can I two. put uh, my, that Apple subscription on a company card then? No, you cannot. Uh, thanks for asking, though. That was really good. good to double Any of our listeners check. can donate an Apple subscription to Ian, though. If, if they would like, maybe give them their login, whatever it may be. I have a really good technique where you don't have to give people your username and password. There's like this trick that you can just use your, it works really well. Uh, happy to share that technique 
offline with anybody. Ooh, look at that. Extra <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, this yeah, is probably going to get really us kicked well. off of Apple Podcasts for well, advocating is, for sharing Google. passwords. I'm sure Google doesn't share information with other people, right? I mean, that's <laughs> no, not something No, they hold happens. it very close to their chest. Nobody else needs to see it. <laughs> hey, hey, folks, before we get too much further on, how about we make to today's episode a masterpiece? What do you huh? say we do what the man says and make today our masterpiece, yeah? Perfect. Let's do it. Well, let's get into it then. We're starting this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Reports, with Ian reporting. But my first sentence was so amazing. This is Aaron Reports, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for September 23rd, 2021. I'm Ian Bledsoe, and I've got your market update for the week. April through September, flows at the Dalles are expected to be at 80, 82% of normal unchanged from last month. The Northwest River Forecast Center has started publishing forecasts for water year 2022 and October through September flows are currently forecast to be 93% of normal and April through September is at 96. Outflow at the Dalles peaked over the past week at 113.6 KCFS on September 18th at 1800 hours. Day ending elevation at Grand Coulee on September 22nd was 1281. Peak outflow this week Hit after the PPUs, September 21st at 102.2 KCFS at 2,000 hours. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery September 23rd is at $63 with gas at 5.05 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $27.64 and a heat rate of 12,475. In term markets, bomb for mid-sea is now at 55.50 per megawatt hour. Mid-sea power for December 2021 is at $95, down from $106.55 last Thursday. December gas at Sumas is trading at $705, translating to a heat rate of $13,475. Taking a look at fish counts at Bonneville Dam, B-Run Steelhead are trending up. 1,049 steelhead passed through the Bonneville Dam yesterday. Chinook and coho salmon counts continue to exceed preseason forecasts. 156,349 coho and 301,476 Chinook across Bonneville so far this year. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority, peak low this past, past week was 6,303 on September 21st at 1925 in the PM. During load's peak, hydro hydrogen was at uh, 7,504. <laughs> okay, hydro. Gen, not the element hydrogen, <laughs> was at 7,504. Wind gen was at 218 megawatts. Conventional units were at 1,174 and nuclear was 1,140 megawatts. Climate Prediction Center website appears to be broken, but the multivariate ENSO index for July through August is negative 1.34. Uh, that's indicating a La Nina. Uh, special thanks to Ansergy for letting us use their, their dashboards for Aaron reports and to Luigi for collecting and compiling the data, for the forecast. That's all we got for the update. Thanks for the report, Ian. I think my main takeaway is I'm going to start calling hydrogen, hydrogen, and just see how people respond. Make a trend. Do it. I, yeah, I love yeah. it. I'm I also glad it. we fully recapped the A run and B run last week. So everyone was already in the know when he read yep. through that. Yeah. And I'm just continuing to be excited about the B-Run situation. There we go. Does, does it mean that you may get to fish in Idaho if the B-Run for Steelhead is above forecast? Do I remember that right from last week? Yep. And they actually, uh, it's 
far enough along that they have updated the forecast. I think it added an additional 25% or so um, based on the, the latest counts. So things are looking up. Things are looking up, up, up. Uh, the I think the website did come back up uh, for the, the climate forecasts, uh, but it was definitely down when Luigi and I were trying to update this this morning. So, But it is back up and it looks like temperature is going to be below and uh, precipitation is going to be above, which is what you like in the fall. Maybe we can get some snowpack. Maybe we'll start reporting snowpack sometime this October. October seems like snow has started falling in the uh, the upper slice mountains. Uh, so in BC, we're there was a dusting over the weekend. It looked like. I'm saying Helen's had a dusting on it as well. I mean, we could kind of see it ourselves yeah. as well. Okay. I love the reference to the Slice Mountains. There is a song in there, Ian. I feel like there's a song in there that we need to write about the Slice Mountains. <laughs> okay, we're going to jingle out of Aaron Reports. And we're going to typewriter into... Awesome. All right. Next up is our weekly walk through Northwest Public Power and Public Power adjacent news in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. Take it away, Karen. Thanks, Brian. Wildfires directly or indirectly took BPA transmission lines out of service 30 times this summer, according to BPA VP of Transmission System Operations, Michelle Cathcart. Some of the outages were only a few hours long. 14 were for the safety of firefighters, and only one was a public safety or PSPS uh, to prevent causing a wildfire. The agency's only PSPS this summer. Uh, came on June 21st when a high wind warning prompted the agency to de-energize a section of its Versada Harney 115 KV number one line. The goal of Bonneville's wildfire plan was to notify affected customers of a PSPS a day in advance. However, on June 21st, to quote, uh, the weather came up much more quickly than that, and we weren't able to give the amount of notice to our customers, Cathcart said. The agency notified affected customers 95 minutes before the line's Versada best lane section was shut down, according to a timeline provided by Cathcart. BPA de-energized transmission lines 14 times this summer for the safety of firefighters working around the line, and smoke caused 15 outages on nine lines. Eight of those outages were on three lines in July during the bootleg fire in Oregon. The growing severity and increasing frequency of wildland fires prompted BPA to adopt its first ever wildfire wildfire mitigation plan in 2020. Bonneville has already revised its plan based on real-world experience. In a PSPS instance, uh, Bonneville revised its procedure to notify potentially affected customers as soon as the agency is considering a PSPS rather than wait until it has decided to de-energize the line. For more information, be sure to check out Clearing Up's news brief in issue 2022. I find it uh, interesting that smoke caused 15 outages on nine lines. Does anybody else, uh, does anyone have an explanation for how the smoke actually causes an outage? Yeah, it's so smoky that, uh, you know, smoke is actually small particles of matter suspended in the air. And uh, air ha- is a better insulated than those particles, insulator than those particles of matter. So it can easily arc between the, uh, the particles in the smoke. Oh, wow. I had not considered that. Makes sense from an engineering perspective. I just, I, yeah, I was like, that. I thought it was weird too. And that's why I researched it. <laughs> Doing the prep work. Love it. 
Okay, what's next? Uh, uh, PPC is Director of Market Analytics and Public Power Underground Special KISO Correspondent. Mike Lynn agreed to stop by to prepare us for KISO's October 13th, 2021 Extended Day Ahead Market Forum, hosted by free virtual web webinar from 8.30 to noon. Hey, Mike, welcome back to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, how did... It's great to see you. I'm so happy to be back here on Public Power Underground talking shop again. Yes, absolutely. Have you been on all three seasons? Were you in on the first season? I feel like you were like the fourth guest on the first season. I do think, I think I am at this point appearing on all three seasons of the Public Power Underground now. Yes, love it. Love every minute of it. And who knows, maybe there'll be more seasons and you'll be finally get the Anadromous Championship belt. It's the actual bell is sitting in Karen's office. Uh, which oh. I don't know that you've been to PPC's offices in a very long time, but it's there. And I've got my token uh, miniature version of it over here. Oh, I love it. Yep. Well, I wanted to have you back because Kaiso is hosting some virtual conference to go over the extended day ahead market. Um, and you're the special Kaiso correspondent. And I'd love to get your take on what's important, what's going on, if there's any... Uh, like public power interest here that we should be aware of before the, the conference gets or virtual webinar goes happens. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if it feels like we haven't talked about EDAM in a bit, it's because we haven't. It's, you know, the last meeting that they hosted was at this point over a year ago. So this is Kaiso's kickoff. Their, their goal is to have a fresh start for EDAM, and they're starting it off with this conference um, where they're going to have multiple panels to talk about key concepts, principles, and share regional perspectives on an extended day ahead market and kind of the value proposition of building upon the EIM. So I'll be watching, you know, kind of several key things as this uh, meeting takes place and as the agenda and the bios and the panelists are announced. Um, you know, kind of the first thing is EDAM, we haven't met in a while, but there has been work done. There has been a small subset of EIM entities that have been meeting with the California IOUs and KISO. And in that time, they've been working to find areas of common agreement. And, you know, they've actually developed a set of principles that we expect them to share at this meeting. The first thing I'm gonna watch for is, what do these principles look like relative to that initial set of EIM entity principles that were released at the very start of EDAM? And, you know, what is the, the framing of whose principles these are? Is it the subgroup or are they gonna be speaking for the collective EIM entities similar to the last letter? Um, you know, I've, We've heard that it's going to be pretty high level, but I really want to see if those principles touch on some of those key areas of friction that came up last time during the EDAM. So governance, how voluntary is this market, things of that nature. Price formation, let's see. Transmission. What Transmission, greenhouse gas. All areas, all great topics. Yes. And then I guess, you know, the final thing I'm going to be watching for is I want to hear any perspectives of how fresh this start is. You know, a lot of work went into that last stakeholder initiative. There was multiple bundles, multiple work teams. Is this uh, a clean, fresh start? Are we starting from scratch or are there pieces that are going to flow through to this? I, I'd like to see, are we rebuilding everything or um, 
are we going to try to pick and build off that work that happened earlier? Okay, I got two questions for you. I'm going to put you on the hot, I mean, put a little pressure on you. I hope you don't mind. We can always cut this out if you don't like my questions. First, was Bonneville part of that subgroup that has been working on these revised principles? Do you know? No, Bonneville was not part of this subgroup. Okay. Um, Bonneville is considered part of the EIM participant group that is will have stakeholder input into this EDAM process? Yes, they absolutely will. And okay. this EIM sub-entity group was a subset of that group that Bonneville is a part of. So was Bonneville, did, were they part of choosing who would be in the subgroup or was it just a subgroup of people decided to choose themselves? I believe, you know, it had a lot... I'm not entirely positive on this, Paul, but, you know, there may have been some concerns, you know, with Elliot Mainzer and the cool off period related to Bonneville. So I think that may have helped kind of steer who was included and who was excluded from that small group. Okay. okay. That was, that was my first question. The second question is whether in your opinion, this is just Mike Lynn. Okay. Just your opinion. Do we need a fresh restart? Are we hoping that it comes as a fresh restart and fresh approach to EDAM? Or do you, Mike Lynn, think that there is value in continuing with some of the work product that had already been developed? I personally think a lot of the work product that came out of that initial set of work, especially around the principles, um, the EIM entities, you know, topics that they really wanted to focus on were very important. I don't think we should throw all of that out. So I am, you know, very curious to watch the differences between those two. And I think it might set up some early discussions about uh, bridging issues of how this progresses and who really wants to be involved. Okay. You're going to be there. You're going to have some, uh, be listening in. So if we need some download afterwards, you're the person to talk to at PPC, right? That's right. Absolutely. Okay. We know how to find you. Thanks a lot, Mike, for joining. Um, anything you want to leave with? Are you, you got a new title, right? You're a director of market analytics now, right? I am. It's a brand new title. I think it's hot off the presses, maybe just even a week. It was on the website. That's how I learned about it. Is there going to, like, are we going to pop some corks? Is there going to be a champagne celebration? Wasn't I advocating for, like, a superstar status? Uh, I feel like during that one, we, we had you as a superstar on here before. I think so. You know what? Here, here's the deal. The next okay. time we're in person, um, that's the point we can, uh, we can in, indulge in a beverage. I'm there for it, Mike. Thank you for being a friend of the underground. Always fun to have you. Great. Thank you, Paul. Right. For the third consecutive year, the region missed the annual energy efficiency target set in the Northwest Power and Conservation Council's seventh power plan. In order to hit the seventh power plan's 1,400 average megawatt six-year goal would require nearly doubling its 2020 savings. Though, a co though COVID is likely a cause of some of the decreased savings, the trend began before the pandemic. The decreased level of savings underscores one of the findings of the council's draft 2021 power plan. In the plan, energy efficiency becomes less cost-effective as cheap renewables come online. For more information, see Dan's article in Clearing Up at www.newsdata.com slash clearing up. Some great content by Dan this week. Good job, Dan. Good good job by you. I need a sound bite of ben si or Bill Simmons saying, good job by you. Uh, oh, wait, don't that we, should Brian? be a good one. Easy one to find, I would think. Yeah, that is a very obscure reference that 40-year-old white men would know. Some Bam. obscure reference to something very specific to a 40-year-old uh, white man no from idea Middle America. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
All right. Joining the underground to report on the happenings of, is it hashtag energy Twitter or just energy Twitter? Hashtag. Hashtag. Okay. Well, Fawcett didn't say that earlier. Oh, I definitely screwed that one up. Okay. So that's what happens when you're a 40 year old white guy. You don't know. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. That's why we're going to have you. Here we go. Join the underground to report on the happenings of hashtag energy Twitter are the stars of Twitter sphere and new friends of the underground. Hope, hopefully, maybe uh, a contributing editor of clearing up Dan Catchpole and the editor, the edit, executive director of the Southern Renewable Energy Association, Simon Mahan. Hey, Dan, welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's so fun to finally get you on screen. We've tried this before, but we're doing it. We're actually doing it this time. Yeah. It's uh, great to have you. My So I'm really new to Energy Twitter. And in this ec- like experience of Energy Twitter, it's you and Matt Shretnick are my kind of conduits into Energy Twitter. Uh, let me see if I got a but I'm Tish. Yes, yes, you're my conduits into Energy Twitter. Um, and so I-, I was hoping you could help me kind of figure out where Energy Twitter is going, along with a star of energy Twitter who had this idea of like, maybe there's a podcast segment around energy Twitter and what's happening on energy Twitter. Simon Mahan, Simon joined us. Welcome to public power underground, Simon. Appreciate it. Thanks Paul. Um, You are the star as far as I'm concerned, at least the star I follow. Dan, um, wait, hold on a second. What am I? I thought that's how you got me on this. I thought I was the star. You're the blue (laughs) check mark of energy Twitter. That's where you're at. Look at this. Look at this blue check mark. Bam. That's good. good. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, it's the one thing I can claim and to have done of notoriety in my life. I have a blue check mark. (laughs) I won't say what I did to, to get it, but I got it. I, I assume you gave up some very personal information to Twitter. Uh, hopefully, there were no things that were done that cannot be undone. Let's just move uh, along before I make some really weird joke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> keep please rolling. I'm, keep rolling. Who, who? So that like, help me. How do I find Energy Twitter? I've got you two. I've got Matt Shretnick at Shretnick, a great follow. Um, who else should I follow? And is it just hashtag Energy Twitter? Is that, it, or is there some list I could use instead? Well, yeah, so I, I do have to first put in a plug for all the energy news data Twitter handles, which you should also all follow. I'm pretty sure I do, but let's yeah, search. Well, I'm, I'm here. I'm live. I, let's, I, it's like at news data. I got yeah. at, uh, like at CU news data is clearing up, which I handle their Twitter feed. Um, following. Anyways, I got it right here. But, Called of Lasso. You should also, we should all be uh, Ted Lasso followers. We should all be in Ted Lasso Twitter too. Simon, are you in Ted Lasso I, Twitter? I am not. I apologize. Okay. I haven't gotten into Ted Lasso. Okay. Well, we need to correct that. And things. also Shea Serrano. I, I hope to cement myself in like the Shea Serrano fan club on Twitter, the Ted Lasso cult of Lasso kind of Twitter following and energy Twitter. How do I get into energy Twitter, Simon? Well, yeah, so first is the hashtag. So it's just hashtag energy Twitter. You punch that into the search and you should be able to bring up the, the most recent, uh, the, the, the latest, the, the, the top uh, posts that folks are putting on energy Twitter. Um, sometimes it's better than not. And you just have to keep trying it every once in a while. But anytime you see someone use that hashtag, uh, give them a follow because they're in the know. <laughs> and so th- there's not uh, there's not a, a requirement in order to use that hashtag or anything. 
Uh, it's free. It's a free website. Um, and so just kind of scroll through it and you'll see a number of folks that have been using it from federal level advocates, state level folks, local folks, um, and just kind of all across the, the energy industry. I mean, we've got electrical folks, there's natural gas and uh, winds and, and nuclear and solar and batteries and electric vehicles. So it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum of folks that, that have used the hashtag in the past. Now, I Simon's created a directory. I have, yeah. So when I when the pandemic hit um, early last year, I was really starting to feel quite lonely <laughs> um, as an extrovert and really missing the the inter, in person interaction. And I work by myself, so I don't have colleagues to banter off of. Um, and so I really wanted to dig into Energy Twitter and and get more acquainted with folks there. And I was just finding it was really, really hard for me to break out of my own bubble because I, I work in the Southeast. And so I, I follow things on TVA, on Southern Company, on Duke, on Entergy, uh, on MISO. But I realized that there's just a whole world of folks out there that I could be learning more stuff from and and becoming best friends with <laughs> uh, across uh, across the interwebs. And um, so I, I started asking folks, I said, you know, who do I need to follow? And I, I get, you know, 244 characters worth of folks to follow. And oftentimes it was the same folks over and over again, um, which is good, but it wasn't really expanding out to, to the non-blue checks, <laughs> uh, so to speak. And so that's where this idea of this directory came in, where uh, I just created a very simple Google form where folks can put in as much or as little information as they want. And once they do that, then they'll get a link to the spreadsheet of everybody else that's also done that. And that is, is kind of an auto way for folks to self-populate themselves into that directory and then also get access to the directory. Um, and so we're up close to 650 folks uh, that are listed in that directory. Um, you know, we've got some, some all-star folks like Leah Stokes uh, who has tens of thousands of followers. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, Representative Sean Caston from Illinois, who's doing Hot Fork Summer. Uh, and all, all the way down to, you know, the folks that are brand new to Twitter that, that made their account specifically so that they can get engaged with Energy Twitter. Um, so it's, it's a full wide breadth of folks that that are, are signing up in the directory. And I'm, I'm hoping it's helpful for folks to find out who they want to follow, um, who they might want to get more in contact with, with, and really kind of spread out the, the number of folks that, that we're getting engaged with, uh, with, with Energy Twitter. So it looks like I, I did it. I did it, Simon. I signed up. I'm on, right. I'm on the, I'm on the form now, apparently. Nice. So <laughs> There's 613. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? Twitter handles I should be following? Yep. Yep. That's probably, that's probably pretty right. That seems pretty reasonable. Is there some like list, uh, like Twitter list where I can go do this? Or is it really, I got to go through and, and, and push these in on my own and hit follow? Yeah. I don't know if there's a way to like mass import them all. Um, but if you, at least in a Windows computer, if you hover your your cursor over a name, it should auto-populate the web page for that person. And then you can right-click and open it up in a new window. And so you can you can do that through 30, 40 different tabs and get 
just a whole ton of folks up all at once and you go through and just follow them one at a time. And, you know, in, in short order, you can end up following just a ton of people. You, you, you don't think you can do a list? You, Simon, I can you make me a list so I can follow your list? I, this is as much as I've done. <laughs> so oh, no, someone else too. can make the list. It seems like maybe this is uh, clearing up. Uh, could could have provide a service here, Dan. You could have a list <laughs> to say, or maybe I will. Maybe I'll come up with a list. Who knows? That would be great. <laughs> Who knows? So I've got hashtag Energy Twitter. It seems like sometimes I get into these really fun threads about fission and fusion Twitter and people arguing. I love. Are there are there things like other? deeper energy Twitter, more specialized energy Twitter that you find entertaining? Either of you, Dan or Simon. What's your favorite energy Twitter subject? Uh, this, it's not so much an energy Twitter one, but just uh, as a reporter, one that I find is useful to track uh, because these are becoming such synonymous issues is um, just like climate change issues. Uh, I mean, if you do hashtag climate change, it's pretty broad but uh so it's more i like make sure to follow a few people working covering in that area um I following, like, climate science twitter climate science twitter yeah that's a, i love that, it they that got can be a good one. it can get it's a little high level sometimes but then again covering you know we're covering at news data covering uh you know where policy and science kind of mesh into the real world um so i've got to kind of keep my feet in both worlds. Um, the other thing uh, during the summer, especially wildfire uh, is a pretty useful one. Uh, California wildfires, Northwest wildfires, um, anybody who's living out here, no, that doesn't really apply to you, Simon. Um, so you follow a lot of IRPs too, from what I've gathered yeah. and transmission data. Who's got the best open source, like utility map, transmission map, where do I get open source data? Oh gosh! Well, I just found recently it's the the high detailed infrastructure from uh, Homeland Security. I think they they yeah. for whatever re yeah for whatever reason they have all this data now on on the transmission system that you can go in and you can download the data. You can pull it up in a in an open viewer and check it out. It's been really helpful. Um, so I live in Little Rock, but I I work on on all things energy and in MISO. Uh, and it's been really helpful to try and figure out what transmission lines went down in New Orleans after Hurricane Ida, um, because really all we, we kept getting were these images of, of a picture of a, a map of New Orleans. And then there were eight or nine different transmission lines all around the city that were just down. Um, and in, in transmission world, those transmission lines have names and the names are usually sub, you know, substation A to substation B. Um, and so it, it, it's important to try and figure out what the names of those lines are so you know how big they are. Uh, you could potentially find out when they were installed, how long uh, they've been in operation. Um, and so by Googling around and trying to find some of that data, I was able to find it. Um, and oftentimes you will see folks on Energy Twitter ask for that data. Where are the transmission lines? How can I download it? And the quip has often been, well, you must be a terrorist because <laughs> only terrorists want to know where critical infrastructure is. That's the only um, person who could have any interest. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like some diehard movie. Um, 
but I, I was able to, I found some of it. Um, and so I put it out there and I love working with Google Earth because um, it's open source, it's free. You can download a lot of uh, the, the power plant data of where the, the units actually are and then match it up with where the transmission system is, um, mm -hmm. which is just an incredible amount of data that, um, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had that type of that type of information. But Energy Twitter, like we can ping that out around the world now and folks can get better access to it. Yeah, it's been a great follow and I'm only following like 70 people of Energy Twitter right now. <laughs> I'm probably only following like 40 people on Energy Twitter and then 30 people on Ted Lasso and Chase around. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fine, so, that's a good ratio. It is, it's, I'm going to expand that to like 600 though, because I'm going to follow <laughs> your list, Simon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a fun space. These are fun people. Am I, am I reading that right? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I have found... Um, there's a lot of subtweeting that happens, especially when folks get involved in, in utility dockets, especially around transparency. You know, we will frequently share around redacted, you know, pages of of material that is just blacked out um, for stakeholder processes. And it's kind of like, did you really need to did you really need to redact like the authors of this report? <laughs> like it's it's not trade secret. <laughs> I, what about you, Dan? What's your what's your fun part of energy Twitter? Oh, I just uh, I mean, most of all, it's always an education when I go on there. Um, which, so that's that's the main thing I appreciate appreciate about it. It's just people who have the the training, the time, the passion to understand things on a deeper level than I can. You know, as a journalist, like our knowledge is even as a specialized journalist, it's like a mile wide and an inch deep, right? And so I just find it fascinating to go on and read these threads and these back and forths uh, about people who are just, like I said, have the training, passion, and and the time to dig into these things. Uh, I do want to say as an aside, I love your comment about redacted, sharing redacted information. I'd like you all to take a minute to take a look at my, um, on my Twitter bio, my profile photo, not like my profile photo, but the header photo, you will all, I think, appreciate it. For, for all those on the Apple podcast, go to dcatchpole, check out his header profile. It is uh, a great redacted uh, image. That's, I, I've looked at a lot of redacted documents over the decades, and that by far is my favorite. Good. Uh, well, I am really excited that y'all agreed to come on and talk about Energy Twitter. I'm hoping if I start following people and there's some great news on Energy Twitter, you'll both come back and we can talk about it. Maybe we can actually get into some content next time. That sound good, Dan? Absolutely. How about you, I'd Simon? love that. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Friends of the underground now. Friends of the underground. I'm very excited about underground this. Underground forever. I already and got the tattoo. That's, that's <laughs> it. And next, we're going to actually cover a topic that I found on Energy Twitter, which is about the UK's energy issues and their natural gas price spike, which I wouldn't have even noticed if not for Energy right. Twitter. So let's right. go. Let's go back to the underground for news. European natural gas prices are setting new records. Spot market natural gas prices in the UK cleared on September 15th, 2021 at 177.3 pence sterling per therm, which translates to 2433 per MMBTU. 
uh, that was dollars. Compare that to gas at Sumas for December, which is currently trading at $7.35. You get the picture. UK natural gas futures for December gas are trading around 190 pence sterling per therm, or $26.07 per MMBTU, up from, uh, from a $5.22 per MMBTU a year ago. The UK has a combination of retail choice and supplier of last resort electric markets, which are subject to energy price caps. The crisis has led several energy suppliers to exit the retail market. Experts cite five main causes of the spike in gas prices, maintenance on gas platforms, gas storage being low because of colder winter last year and a slow refill, less imports to Europe from Russia squeezing regional demand, lower wind output than normal, and unplanned outage on electrical transmission lines from sourcing power from France. To learn more, follow Energy Twitter or look for articles from publications on the other side of the Atlantic, like Sky News and the Financial Times. I tell you what, the conversion attempt I did on this took uh, all of the Klatskin IPUD's best data specialists and power analysts to get this right. I was so confused. It was pence and not pounds and symbols and unit conversion was complicated for me. I think, Paul, it's still only an approximate conversion. So disclaimer, do not base any of your uh, trading decisions on the information you hear on Public Power Underground because a UK therm is not actually the same as a US therm. So I'm not sure if it's uh, that accurate. I, I also want to point out None of these reasons are COVID, which I, I've been hearing COVID as a reason for everything over the last two years. So it also could just be an assumption these days that COVID impacts everything. Good point. <laughs> okay. All right. In Wind Power Monthly and Business Wire's September 15th publications, it was announced that $2.3 billion were raised to fund the construction of Vineyard Wind One, a wind farm project on which Avangrid and Copenhagen have partnered. Construction for the project will start this month. Vineyard Wind One is, is expected to begin delivering power in Massachusetts in 2023. The project, which will feature 84 turbines, will have a capacity of 800 megawatts and reduce electricity costs by about $1.4 billion and carbon emissions by more than 1.6 million metric tons every year. This project will help combat climate change while also creating more job opportunities. A partnership with the Massachusetts Building Trades uh, for construction will allow Avangrid to offer fair and family supporting wages, as well as workplace protection for workers. To learn more about this project, project, you can read Wind Power Monthly's article by Craig Richard titled Avangrid and CIP Reach Financial Close on $2.3 Billion Vineyard Wind One Offshore Project, or Business Wire's article titled Avangrid's Vineyard Wind One Joint Venture Reaches Financial Close. Special thanks to Underground's own Luigi Jeline for summarizing the insightful articles. And now join in the Underground to talk about Avangrid, offshore wind, renewables in the Northwest, and a little bit of Ted Lasso. Uh, is vice is Avangrid's vice president of originations, friend of Paul, uh, and a new friend of the underground, Holly Karyos. Hey, Holly, welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm good. How have you been? It's so exciting to have you on. Thanks. I've been great. How's the school year going for you? It's it's nice to have the kids back in school. My kids uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, some days they're really excited about going. Some days they aren't. And it's like a coin flip on how successful everybody is getting out the door. I know. You never know when they come downstairs. <laughs> exactly. What they're going to be wearing. Uh, <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. So Avin Good was in the news last week for the closing of Vineyard Wind, the first uh, U.S. commercial scale offshore wind project. Um, That's correct. Yeah, we're real- yeah, go ahead. It's exciting. Yeah, we're really excited about it. $2.3 billion, first close in the U.S. ever for offshore wind. So we're excited to be making progress and really setting the stage for the, the future of offshore in the United States. So um, Vineyard Wind is a 50-50 partnership with Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners. Um, and I think we just made an announcement yesterday, actually, that we're changing the structure going forward. So for Vineyard Wind, we're keeping it 50-50. But then for some of our offshore other projects, we're going to take full ownership. So that's like for Park City, which is another 804 megawatt project in Connecticut. Um, Avangrid will be the full owners. And then also um, we have another one that we just participated and the Massachusetts RFP, and that's up to 1200 megawatts. So we're really excited about that. It's called Commonwealth Wind, but we have a lot in the pipeline and we're definitely exploring California. So we're coming to the West. I was wondering, so this is uh, so far it's an East Coast thing, uh, but yeah. wondering if it was coming West and if there are opportunities, if it's a different opportunity on the West Coast or is it similar? I mean, the technology is similar, I assume. Technology is similar, although the water depth is like a lot more substantial on the West. So that's why it's you know easier to get in the Northeast. There's a lot more shallow depth um, on the Northeast. And so it's easier. Plus, you, know, you have to look for areas where the electricity prices are high. And so the Northeast definitely is probably the first penetration. And then, you know, we have Kitty Hawk, which is also, it's in North Carolina. So we are, you know, have other projects outside of the Northeast, but we're, we're definitely excited about California and we think it's going to be a good future uh, for offshore there. So. Yeah, really exciting. Um, I think in the Northwest, we still have some opportunity for onshore wind and uh, solar. And I have been out of the renewables game for almost a decade at this point. And I was wondering <laughs> if you could give me some insights into pricing on in, in the Northwest, what's happening? Commodity prices are going up. Natural gas prices have come up in the past year. What what should we expect out of wind and solar pricing uh, on long-term contracts? What Just expectation setting for me, Holly, please. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty right now in the industry as a whole. And so I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head as far as like, we're seeing a lot of commodity price increases. The other thing that we're seeing a lot of is just labor price increases. So in the Pacific Northwest, union labor is almost an expectation. And so we anticipate a lot of our projects will be utilizing union labor in the future. You know, and so those two factors, as well as for solar, there are a lot of uncertainty regarding tariffs. And so there's a potential that the 201 tariffs that are actually set to expire in February of 22, there may be, they may be extended. So there's that, there's like a circumvention case. Um, there's a whole bunch of other factors uh, as far as causing some uncertainties. But right now, you know, solar is on par with wind. And is we it? think it's going to, yeah, <laughs> we it? think it's going to be. <laughs> Even in like the yeah. Northwest? In the Northwest, yeah. It's exactly. unbelievable to me, Holly. I guess I have been out of the business for long enough. <laughs> you have it's... been out of the business for a while. You need to come back into the fold. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to like help you pitch to other public power people. How about that? I could be your conduit. I know. I want to know about public power in the Pacific Northwest, but I mean, we're seeing about 40 to $50 um, per megawatt hour bus bar solar pricing. And um, it, it really depends on the region. And like I said, a lot of other factors, obviously NCF is always a big driver, but then other factors as far as labor costs, commodity prices, we're seeing a lot of fluctuation, but it, the price is definitely coming down. Solar is competitive. We're pricing storage with all of our projects now. 
Interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because, you know, one of the, the things in as a public utility, we're trying to serve load and we're wondering, you know, what type of products, what types of services can we pair with, a, you know, just the, the energy output of a solar or wind? So can you talk about battery being priced in with these solar or wind projects? Yeah, I think battery is, is definitely the wave of the future for the Pacific Northwest. And so a lot of these entities, obviously, a lot of people are looking at participating in the Northwest Power Pool RA program. You know, we're contemplating it as well. And I think when you start looking at some sort of capacity construct using effective load carrying capability, when you do that, you're looking at the loss of load expectation with and without that resource. So when you start looking at that, you really need to um, have some sort of natural hedge because as you see a penetration of solar, like you're seeing in, in Kaiso, um, as you see the penetration, the capacity value is going to start going down. And so when you pair solar naturally with storage, that as that capacity goes down for the solar, the storage can you know, add up to the capacity. So I think you're going to see storage being a necessity going forward for a lot of these solar projects. Yeah, it's a really interesting pairing. And can you talk, I, I like we mentioned, have been out of the game. What is the, <laughs> the federal incentives on like solar and battery? Are, are we getting some like we used to have PTCs for wind, or there's still in the ITCs on solar. Can you talk a little bit about where that's going? To just yeah, so we're, there's change. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot in flux, basically, you know, with the federal tax credits, and there's a lot of proposed bills. So we're all like anxiously awaiting to see what's going to happen in the future. But right now, that's why you're seeing a lot of storage paired with solar, because the only way that you can actually get the ITC for storage is having it paired with an ITC qualifying facility, which typically that's going to lead you towards a solar facility. And so in order for that, you have to charge at least 75% of the time from a solar facility within the first five years. And so after that, you can charge as much as you want from the grid. And that's really where you get the savings is being able to charge from the grid. So at some point when you charge, you know, when you have a storage facility, you know, in the long term, you're going to want to have the flexibility to be able to charge wherever, you know, wherever you want to. But um, we anticipate a standalone storage happening hopefully this year for storage. And so, you know, we are looking at standalone storage opportunity as well. And I think you're going to start seeing that not only where there's land constraints, but also where there's like transmission constraints and then, right. you know, partnering it also with some wind facilities, you know, especially if there's areas where there are significant curtailments happening in the future. So I think we're evaluating all sorts of opportunities. We think storage is definitely the wave of the future. And most of our customers, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, are demanding storage. Um, even the, some of the CNI customers that are talking to us, you know, they really are interested in it from a 24-7 perspective. I know back when we were both doing wind development, the CNI customers were really interested in what's the cheapest I can get it. Right. And now, now CNI customers are really interested in just really understanding how much that facility actually displaces emissions on the grid as a whole. And then they also want to make sure like that the energy is correlating more closely to their load. And so you're seeing a lot of 24-7 products being asked for, which is really expensive, but you definitely need storage in order to be able to make that happen. I want to dig a little bit more into the commercial and industrial customer aspect of this. So um, you call them CNI, commercial and industrial, very important part of our load bases and, and you know economic opportunities within our regions. How do you see the partnership with utilities? And is there a way that we can work with renewable developers or, or other IPPs like y'all to make this a win-win for both our customers and for 
for us as utilities. Um, how, how are you working with utilities? Because I don't want you just to steal my customers. I have, you know, they're my customers, Holly. They're your they're customers? customers. <laughs> yes. Dang uh, it. What? We have, we have, you know, statutory rights to serve the entities within our service territory. But I'd love to partner with people. I really like I think partnership would be fantastic. And that's what I was asking earlier about, you know, what's the requirements for the public power entities? You know, when you do have you know, commercial and industrial customers, you know, we're seeing a lot of them wanting to site data centers in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the requirements from the public power, how can we partner together? We're getting a lot of requests for virtual power purchase agreements um, where, you know, basically um, you're just taking the energy and we're selling it like back, like the index energy. So it's a more unique structure and we can do that because we're a wholesale market participant. Um, But I think there's definitely opportunities because like you said, you have like a rec tariff as well where people can participate. But a lot of times the commercial and industrial customer want to point to a specific facility and say, you know, we're, like that facility would not have been built, you know, without us like actually committing to that, you know, combine that energy. So I think there's got to be some ways for us to partner a little bit closer together because otherwise, like you said, I think they're going to be more unique and more of a financial construct like the VPPA that I mentioned previously. Yeah. And, and I really think, you know, that there is an opportunity um, for like new large single loads that provide economic development opportunities for utilities like us that we can partner with with people because Bonneville won't serve that load. It's not part of our, you know, tier one power. So there may be an opportunity for you know entities if they want really renewable power to go find some people like you. So if they want to reach out, uh, who at Avangrid should they get a hold of? It's obviously you, but you're very busy, very big, very big personality and big person at Avangrid. So who can they talk to in the Northwest? You want to send me some contact information? We I'll send you some contact information. Do. Definitely. Yeah, we'd love to have you guys reach out. Uh, we'd love to hear more about the public power in the Pacific Northwest, like what people are doing. And, you know, I know the customer expectations are changing from your guys' perspective. And we'd love to understand, you know, your guys' challenges and how we can better help you guys in the future. Absolutely. So Brian Face is my director for the West. And Brian is fantastic. He came from Portland General Electric. We're super excited to have him on board at Avangrid. Um, he would definitely love to reach out and be in contact with anybody that's interested and send you yeah. his information. Thank you very much. How did this feel? Does this feel good? You feel like this is a good promo? Maybe you want to advertise on Public Power Underground sometime, Holly? I think so. That'd be awesome. I, you know, I'm a subscriber, so. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Friend of the Underground. Last question. Uh, I had some interviews earlier on this episode with some people who'd never heard of Ted Lasso. That is a travesty. Like we need people who know <laughs> Ted Lasso, right? Who's your not after character? the Emmys? Everybody knows Ted Lasso now. Well, I mean, I feel like I feel like some people don't give it like they it got Emmys, it got awards, but is it good? Actually good, or is it Emmy good? And it's actually good, right, Holly? It's actually good. You're the one that recommended it. I don't know months ago, and I, I watched it, and I was instantly hooked. I love Ted Lasso, and you like you're asking my favorite character before, and I it's really hard. I was told from Brian that I had to commit, I had to decide. So I guess I'll go with Coach Beard. Coach but, Beard. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I, I like, there's a lot of favorites. I really like Sam too. I like the fact that everybody has their own strengths and, and really in season two, you're starting to see their vulnerabilities coming out, which is exciting because it's complex and it's more real. And I think it's just really inspiring show. I love watching it. Ah, that's a great pitch for Ted. <laughs> so thank you very much, Holly. Please come back. Let's do this again. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul. Have a thank great you. day. You too. Now Bye. back to the underground for more news.
MIT, in partnership with a fusion startup, Commonwealth Fusion Systems, have set a record by creating the world's most powerful magnetic field, the breakthrough, which boasts a doubling of previous magnetic field strength over the last three years, is hailed as the first requirement for generating electricity in a fusion reactor. Fusion reactions, which require intense te temperatures and pressures equivalent to a star, can only be contained by a force that doesn't actually come close to the heat. The team's goal is to have a fusion reactor capable of producing net energy by 2025 boasting that the technology will eventually be capable of turning a single glass of water into enough energy for a single person for their entire life. For all 7.9 billion people on Earth, that equates to about 0.0000000005% of the Earth's total fresh water for all of our energy needs for our lives. For more information, see the story by Andy Corbley on www.goodnewsnetwork.org. Really fascinating stuff. Zeros. <laughs> I, I had to put that in there because every time people talk about fusion, they say it's unlimited. And I just want to point out that number is not zero. We're we're turning uh, we're turning uh, hydrogen into helium, and I don't believe that that process is re reversible. So we want to be careful not to turn all of our water into helium. Good point, Ian. They're really good. I also am really glad that you follow the Good News Network. There's always some good news on the Good News Network. Okay, clearing ups. Steve Ernst reports on the state of Oregon's 2020 zero emission vehicle adoption in last week's clearing up. Steve covers the release of ODOs, uh, that's Oregon Department of Energy's 2021 biennial zero emission vehicle report that was released on September 15th. The report notes that the state fell short of its goal of 50,000 ZEVs registered by 2020. Klatskin IPUD is doing its part. About time y'all started pulling your weight. Just saying. 100% of Klatskin IPUD's economic development department has an EV and 67% of its power department. There is an expectation of increased adoption coming with an expansion of EV models available. The future is electric, folks. And Steve, thanks for reading the report and summarizing it for us. High five, bud. I need a high five sound, uh, sound bite. Uh, the whistle doesn't really work. This marks you saw us. ABS NewsHour published an article on September 21st about the inauguration of <clears throat> Project Orca, which removes carbon dioxide from the air. The project, which belongs to the Swiss company Climeworks, will start operating this month. The system uses a technology known as direct air capture, or DAC, which traps the CO2 in a chemical agent named sorbent. When the substance fills up, the carbon dioxide it contains uh, is mixed with water and released into an underground well where it undergoes a mineralization process and turns into stones with time, like a lot of time. Orga can remove up to 4,000 metric tons of CO2 from the atmosphere each year. The company has already built similar, less sophisticated projects in, the, in mainland Europe that, Europe that remove hundreds of tons of carbon dioxide from the ambient air. The technology is promising and Climeworks now has dozens of customers who pay for their carbon removal services. 31 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide was released into the atmosphere last year. While the best solution it, to decrease that number is to transform our electrical transportation and industrial systems into emissions-free sources, projects like Orca will be very useful for sectors that are not easy to rapidly decarbonize. Paul, can I get a Forrest Gump soundbite here? 
Yeah, what? That's uh, all I have to say about that. That's right. To learn more about this project, you can read the article by John Gertner titled The Dream of Carbon Air Capture Edges Toward Reality in Iceland, which was originally published in the online magazine Yale Environment 360 on August 25th, or check out this week's episode of, Ener of the Energy Gang on the topic direct air carbon capture. The Energy Gang is a great energy podcast. Everybody, I mean, you should probably listen to the Energy Gang before you listen to Public Power Underground, to be quite frank. This is the way. Um, it is, it's a really good, and they had a really good uh, discussion about this technology. Okay. Is that, I think that's it. So that's, that's all it. the news we're covering this week. Send us any, uh, news questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter at a power manager, or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note, any corrections from the last week, Ian. I don't have any corrections, but uh, when I was watching uh, the interview with Two Fan, uh, I noticed that he pluralized the word premium using the Latin plural, that is premia. Uh, I have only ever heard the word premium pluralized in English as premiums, but uh, I think it's a very highbrow method of pluralizing that word, and I'm going to always use it in the future. I'm on board with premia. It sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. It sounds really good. Sounds very premium. Yep, very good. Anything from uh, you, Karen? Any uh, any corrections? No, no corrections. I think we're uh, we're getting season three going. I feel like we're. I mean, I got my headset. We're all stepping it up. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're uh, we're really stepping up the audio situation here shortly. I really feel like we need to mention that Brian Fawcett is, is, you know, he's been helping us get back into season three and he's taking vacation and I very much support vacation, but we're going to be out next week, aren't you? For two weeks? Two weeks. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah. I would say I'm halfway checked out today as, as it is, but I'm trying to get a few things done and enjoy, enjoy being on the podcast. This is the Thursday thing. It is. We got some good, good socializing in here. I feel really good about it. I yeah, have spoken. <laughs> okay. all right uh thanks ian and karen for the corrections and thoughts we'll be back next week to talk about public power and public power adjacent news to make sure you don't miss an episode you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content and links to the news articles we chatted about on substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com otherwise you can subscribe on youtube spotify apple podcast or your favorite podcast app that's all for this week thanks for tuning in Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. We're likely recruiting you to come and join on. Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Public Power Underground is Northwest Public Power News from a power department's perspective prevented, presented for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department and friends of the Power Department. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, PPC, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episode. Make Dan, Simon, Mike, and Holly feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note text or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it do it for us do it to, for them and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated public power underground for electric utility enthusiasts public power underground it's work to watch Canadian
northwest to the ocean so blue. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Your power is turning our darkness to dawn. So roll on.